Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. First Corinthians chapter 16. Let's do some work. You guys have your notebooks? Yeah? Okay. You know, one of, the, uh, one of the things that makes Midtown Baptist Temple unique is the number of young people that attend this church. Yeah? Uh, approximately, and I may be a little bit loud. I'm kind of ringing a little bit. Um, approximately one-third of our church is under the age of 30, right? And, um, you know, why is that? How does that, how does that happen? Uh, why, why is it such a, an exciting, young, and zealous group? Uh, well, God made it that way. Uh, it's through our prayers and through the foolishness of preaching that we have watched this ministry grow and blossom. It's a testament to God, to his work, just as Andrew was saying. Why are we saying so much blessing in the area of international student ministry? Why, do we, why have we seen so many people come to Christ? Well, because, because Christ. <laughs> because Christ, because, because grace, because he has objectives. And, and with a growing ministry, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, comes a greater demand. As, a, as the ministry grows, the demand grows, right? The demand on our time and energy and attention, the demand on discipleship, this is the way that it's supposed to work. Younger believers, they enter the ministry, people come to Christ, the unchurched show up here, and they're looking for an investment. And young believers, because, because of their developmental stage, require more attention and time, amen? Because of where they're at, they just require more energy and love and and that, this is the way, you know, I'm going to go back to a plant analogy, right? But, but in the beginning stages of a plant's growth, it requires more time and energy to make sure that it's got the nutrition that it needs. And, and then once it begins to grow and blossom, well, then it becomes much more independent and you, have to pay, you don't have to pay quite as much attention to it. But, but this is the way ministry works too. And it's only right, it's only right that we provide the teaching and the counseling and the encouragement that each individual, each and every single person needs in order to grow in their relationship with God and in their spiritual maturity. That is our responsibility as a church. This is the commitment that we've made to everyone. When we say, come to the cost of discipleship meeting, that's not just a commitment that that person's making in order to become a disciple of Jesus, that they're, just, they're the only ones counting the cost. Every time a group of 10 or 15 or 20 people come through that meeting, we too, as a ministry, are also counting the cost of discipleship because we must know that there's an investment that needs to be made, and we have devoted our lives to that work. It's the very reason that you're here. If you call yourself a member of Midtown Baptist Temple, hopefully that's because you understand it's your job to not just be served, but to serve as well. So we long for everyone to find themselves in community and in discipleship in this ministry and in this church. 
But with this, but with this, we must also understand that there is a relational dynamic to ministry that we have to consider, that we have to consider. How do we each, each and every one of us, get the counsel and the discipleship that we need when people in our ministry are busy and have other relationships and other responsibilities that they need to attend to? What should our expectation of our brothers and sisters be when we want their attention, but they're just not available? Has anybody ever experienced this? Everyone in ministry has experienced a moment in their life where they felt crisis or they needed advice or counsel, and they looked around, and the person that they usually count on is just not available to them. How should we feel about that? What should our ex- expectations be in a ministry where everybody is investing and they have, they have jobs and responsibilities and activities that they're devoted to and then people are just not immediately available to us? What is the, how should we perceive that? How should we understand that? Now, here's the question. We've been doing questions before all of these sermons in 1 Corinthians. Today is no different. Here are our questions for today. Do I respect the natural limitations of the relationships that I have in ministry? Do I respect the natural limitations of my brothers and sisters? Do I respect others' time, energy, and the opportunities that they have in their life? Do I respect that? I hope this gets uh, practical today and and, and that God would speak to you. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll come to the passage. You guys with me? Everybody awake? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for an opportunity just to celebrate and to pray for what you're doing in Vietnam. Thank you for our friends. And um, it's never enough. Goodbyes are never satisfactory the way that they should be, but our satisfaction is in you. And so we turn to you and we say, God, uh, do your will. Um, Lord, we ask the same thing for today's sermon. Um, I never feel like I have enough time and I, I never ever feel like I'm articulate enough uh, that, I, that I do the passage justice the way that it should be done. But God, your will, let your will be done. Uh, speak through me today, speak to our hearts. We ask for your help in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So today's sermon is within the nature of relationships. That's what we're gonna be examining today. Verse five says the following. Now I, now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. For I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries." Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with uh, with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have, uh, have convenient time. Okay, so we're going to see three different people in this passage with three different circumstances. We're going to look at Paul's life here in this situation. We're going to look at Timothy, and we're going to look at Apollos. Now, remember the background of our passage is this. 
In chapter 15, we studied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we all together confirmed the power and the authority and the hope that we find when we discover that Jesus' resurrection was, was as real as our resurrection will be. Jesus rose from the dead, and just as he rose from the dead, we too will one day raise from the dead with him in glory. And our hope is knowing that we get to, to, to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That is our hope. And it should flood our hearts with joy and expectation in him. And it should cause us to consider what it means to obey, obey him in every regard. And so in our sermon last week, we looked at the, the work of giving sacrificially. You remember Paul was requesting that the church in Corinth would gather together sacrificially, gather together finances in order to support the church in Jerusalem that was going through a famine at the time. And what he asked them to do was to, to commit themselves through personal conviction to the work of giving, and then he asked them to do it in an orderly fashion. It's very instructional, very direct, very directive in his, in his approach to them. Now, he's going to continue in that tone today in our sermon. We're going to see that he's going to continue to be very direct. And so I, I hope to relay this to you uh, with the tone and tenor that he intended. All right? But, but we're going to talk about some hard stuff today because relationships are hard. Relationships can be difficult. And our expectations of people can sometimes be unre unreasonable. Right? So here we find Paul explaining his travels to the church. He's He's telling them about all the things that he's got going on in his travels and his journeyings. We know that Paul is a busy guy and, and, and that he's constantly going and visiting the church plants that he'd already invested in. But the church in Corinth, you know, we can tell by the way that the letter was written, that Paul's letter that was written to Corinth, was that they greatly desired his input and counsel over many different things. And they really wanted him to just come and be with them. In fact, the letter is just only sent in his stead, right? It's so much better for him to be there and to disciple and to train in purpose, uh, with, with purpose and intentionality. But, but Paul, instead, he sends a letter because he can't be with them at this time, right? But they want that. They, they long for him. They, they long for his attention. And they want him to, to speak directly into the problems that they've been dealing with. Now, Paul replies to them and tells them, what this may or may not look like. And in so doing, he's going to give us clear insights into how we should perceive one another's time and energy and what our expectations of one another should be. So here in verse 5, we're going to look, look at what about Paul? Is Paul coming to visit us? Verse 5, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey, whithersoever I go. So Paul's purpose was to pass through Asia, where he was, and to go through Macedonia into Achaia, where Corinth was, and to potentially stay with them through the winter. That's what he wants to do. That's his desire. Now, remember that Paul had spent a year and a half with Corinth in their inception. Remember, he spent a lot of time with them in the early days of the church plant. And he made a huge investment in them. And so he has a lot of stock and energy already invested into this work of this church in Corinth. Now, they've been around for about eight years, but his heart was to, to do much more than he had before. His heart was to come back to them and to invest deeper and deeper and build deeper relationships and to really, truly 
address the issues and the struggles that they were having at this stage of their spiritual maturity. He really wants to be there for them. And that's why he says he wants to come and winter with them. He loved the church in Corinth and they loved him. And there's no doubt about that. And they greatly anticipated his arrival. Now, we're going to have, I think, about nine key points today. So your your writing fingers should be ready to go, okay? So key point number one is this. Every mature leader, and these are a little bit longer key points too. I had to to stuff a lot in here. We got a lot to cover in a short period of time. Every mature leader has a heart to spend and be spent for the sake of their brothers and sisters. Now, I want to remind you, the PowerPoint is available online, so if you can't get everything down, you know, go find it there. But, but every mature believer, okay, let's consider the, the, the team in Vietnam. They have already committed because of their maturity. You know, we don't send immature people to go plant churches, correct? We send mature people. So as mature leaders, they're going to Vietnam knowing in advance that they will spend and be spent. They will give of their time, resources, and energy. They will be exhausted many days in the work. And they're going to do it. Why? For the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And every mature believer understands this. In fact, this was Paul's very words in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He writes these very things down. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. So, so Paul is speaking into the very issue that that mature people investing in, other, in, in, in immature people, the very dynamic that is the issue at hand today is that, is that he loves them and he's making an investment knowing that that love may or may not be reciprocated. And he's willing to do that. Why? Because he's mature. Because he has, he has a vision for the resurrection of Christ. He knows what Christ did on his behalf. I mean, who knows that you can never truly love Christ the way that he loves you. And so in his understanding of that, he's saying, look, I'm willing to, be, to, to spend and be spent on your behalf because I love you. I love you. And the heart of a Christian minister must be towards those whom he's labored and been fruitful with. As, as, as we know from the letter itself, that Paul was not without his detractors, that, that many people in the church in Corinth didn't have good things to say about Paul. That there were people that, that spoke ill of him, people within the church in Corinth who, who had developed factions against him. But overall, the church expressed love. Overall, the overwhelming view was that there was great and enduring mutual love between Paul and the people of the church in Corinth. And so to go and to see them would allow him the opportunity to affirm his love. But listen, it would also give him the opportunity to win the hearts of those that were against him. That he believed that, that was part of his responsibility. And so I think a lot of times, leaders, listen, there are people that maybe have issues with you or or, or murmur against you or speak ill against you. Listen, it is our responsibility to continue to be blameless And to love people even when they don't love us in return. I want to point out to you that that as your pastor, I believe that I have the greatest job in the world. I mean, you look at this and you might think differently. 
right? You might have an idea that, that about pastors or what they do, and you might think ill of it, but I love it. I, I freaking love it. It's the best. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade this job for anything in the world. I love that uh, we get to be together and to serve into this work together. I love that we get to watch people overcome sin, move from darkness to light. I love, I love to watch all the young disciples. I love to see people come into maturity and grow and, and move into leadership and, and fall in love with God's word. I, I love to see it. It's the joy of my heart. I love the notion that, that the team headed to Vietnam is a group of people who are raised up right here in our ranks. I love that. That's precious to me. That thought is precious to me. And I pray that there would be many, many more. I love that young people are talking about and thinking about and daydreaming about planting churches. I love that you guys go on campus and into your neighborhoods and preach the gospel. I love this ministry. All of your pastors love this ministry. It's our joy, but here's, here's something that all leaders have to come to grips with. And that is that sometimes the people that you love and labor over don't love you back. And they will struggle to obey God's word no, no matter how much you've invested. Every pastor and leader in our church has faced moments of betrayal and murmuring they have all had people speak poorly of them and the ministries that they invest in. They've each given their time and energy to people for months or years to only have them grumble against them, complain, or walk away completely. Every pastor has experienced this. It's just the way it goes. It's how ministry works. Every... <laughs> You know, Jesus had 12, and one, and one was a betrayer. You know, it's just the way things go. And then half of those guys were completely immature and always putting their foot in their mouth. You know, so even the ones that did love him treated him terrible. <laughs> but why is that? Why is church that way? It's because, because every church leader is working with people. And people, people are often immature, and people are often easily deceived and lied to. Look, no pastor is perfect. No pastor is perfect. And no pastor is above criticism. I'm sure that there are many things that people could say about me that would be absolutely accurate and true. I am frail, I am weak, and I am not always a great pastor. But every pastor and every leader must come to grips with the fact that sometimes you're going to face accusations and opposition simply because it's the reality of ministry. Simply because you have an enemy that hates what you do. You have an adversary. So what does this mean? Do you quit? Do you hide? Do you avoid people altogether? Is that what you do? No. You press into the relationships. You give as much away as you can with a heart to prove your love and to let God reveal what's true. Does it make sense? So it's for this reason that Paul desires to go to Corinth to establish the doctrine, the work, and the relationships that he loves so deeply. His hope is that he can spend time with them 
And as, and, and, and as when, he, he, you know, he's beckoned to go somewhere else, when it's time for him to leave them behind, that listen, what would happen? That they would bring me on my journey whithersoever, whithersoever I go. That when I leave your midst, when I leave Corinth, if I come to visit you and I spend time with you, that at the point that I leave, I want to know that you're going with me in heart and mind. That you're sending me on my way, that I've won you over and that we are going in unity, knowing that we have mutual love for one another. That's what he desires from his relationship in Corinth and it requires him to work for it. He's gonna have to work for that. He wants their love to establish his future work that they would stand with him and support him because their love is common. And he says, you know, I want to come. I want to come to you, but just not now, is his words. Just not now. And now there's some honest realities in relationships that just aren't easy. You know that? And one thing is that we don't always have access to people the way that we want. We don't always have access to people when we want it. And so Paul is very frank with them on this point. Verse 7 says this, For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. God willing, I will at some point, but it's not today. So Paul explains to them that he will not be able to see them right now as he travels because the visit would be so brief that it wouldn't be worth the time. It would just be a tease. If, if I, I've got somewhere to go, and if I came and I gave you just a little bit of moment, a little bit of my time now, that means that we wouldn't get the time that we needed. It would be, it would be too brief. It wouldn't be the investment that I want to make. And so I'm not going to come now. I'm going to go to my other journeyings with the hope that I'll come to you later. He desired to give them the attention, attention that they wanted but if he came quickly, he would have to leave just as quickly as he came. And so it wouldn't satisfy anyone. It wouldn't be a deep or meaningful engagement. If they simply would, would just be patient, if they would simply be patient, this would be better for Paul and it would be more rewarding for them. Now, here's our next key point. We need to be patient with leaders, with our leaders who must attend to many matters. We need to be patient with our leaders who must attend to many matters. You aren't the only person in their life. They don't serve the Lord to serve you alone. Does that make sense? And so when we're dealing with leaders in ministry, we have to recognize that these are busy people ministering to many, many others. Do you know how much my kids have to give up? Do you know how much my kids have to learn this very thing? Be patient with your dad who must attend to many, many matters. They have to learn that at age five and six and seven years old. Why? Because we're a family that ministers. We are a family that does the work of the Lord, and our time and energy is pulled different directions. Do you understand that in the life of those that minister to you? It's not fair to assume that people can drop everything that they do in order to attend to your needs. As it concerns pastoring to a, to a large group of people, I'm often pulled in 20 different directions. At the same exact time, I'm, I'm, you know, as Sam would say, I'm one tub of butter and there's a ton of toast. And one tub of butter can only go so far before it's stretched thin and it's of no use. If the expectation is that anyone who emails me or texts me should get my attention almost immediately, that's not fair. That's not fair to me and it's not fair to this ministry. The truth is that all of the pastors and leaders are making decisions based on priority. 
not because you aren't important, but because none of us can be everywhere at once. No one can be. And if we could, and even if we could, we still aren't all-knowing. We're all-powerful. And so we couldn't even give you the thing that you want. But the good news is, I know someone who can be everywhere at once. I know someone who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving. And So here's our next key point. When we can't get a leader's attention, remember that it's better to start with God anyway. So many of us in our immaturity and our need for advice immediately, the very first thing we do is we call our discipler, we call our Bible study leader, we reach out to a friend, and we expect that we're going to get the thing that we want. And I want, to, I want to tell you something. You might get something there, but you won't get what you get when you go to God. Start with the Lord in prayer. Start with God's word. People are weak and limited, but God is available to to you whenever you need him. He's always going to answer your phone call. You know, when Israel feared going into the promised land, when they thought that they needed Moses the most, you guys remember this? Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land. And the nation of Israel is so brokenhearted about this, and, and they're afraid of what is coming if they go into Canaan. Remember, there's giants there. It's, a, it's bad news in there. They've got a lot of work ahead of them. And so Moses comforts them. Moses very accurately reminded them that even though he couldn't go with them into Canaan, that God was going with them. And that was good enough. That was more than good enough. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he is that, uh, he is, it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. He won't. You know, so often in ministry, I have a person will reach out to me with what feels to them like it's an emergency. They reach out and everything, the sky is falling, you know. And in love, I will sometimes give them space. Instead of, you know, if, if, if you know, Eloise just recently learned how to ride a bike. And, and, and Eloise is most definitely going to fall and hurt herself. But every time she falls, if I run and, and coddle her and make it feel like it's an emergency, I will no, never normalize pain and suffering in her life. And, 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 and if we're going to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings, as Paul highly, highly suggests that we should, then we need to learn to suffer with him. We need to fellowship with him in that suffering. And so if, if in every instance a leader comes in and they're like, oh, dear child, let me help you. Let me, let me fix your boo-boos. Let me, let me pat your head. Let me coddle you. Let me love you. Let me kiss you. Let me kiss your boo-boo. If they do that in every instance, listen to me. We will never learn to trust God for everything. We will never learn to find our counsel and our peace in him. And so, so I give people space. When they, they reach out to me and it's an emergency, I often give them space. Why? Why? Because what I've learned is that if I give them a little space, then they'll be forced to go to God with their problems. And so oftentimes, I'll check back in with them after a week and they'll be like, oh yeah, no big deal. Now I sorted that out. 
Why? How, how does that happen? Well, because God has all the answers. And, and guess what? I didn't. I didn't. God did. See, here's the deal. Too many heirs of the resurrection, too many children of God have become slaves to, their own, to other people's approval. They've become slaves to other people's approval. And that leads us to this next key point, and that's this. Don't seek validation, affirmation, or consolation in people. Find it in God. Find it in God. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's very present. He's available to you. And not only that, he's a refuge and strength, which means he's a, a protecting force for you. And he provides you with exactly the kind of affirmation and consolation that you need. He provides it. In fact, it's, you know, what we're told is that it's an, a, a, a never-ending uh, fount. It's an everlasting fount of goodness to you, of grace and mercy. Always available, always ready to provide. So Paul says to them, look, I'm preoccupied at the moment. He goes on to tell them that even if he wanted to, he couldn't come to Corinth right now. He couldn't. Why? Because he's tied up with other responsibilities. Verse 8 says this, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So I think it's important for us to point out that, that pastors want to be a help to you, that leaders want to be a help to you, but they have to, they have to establish priorities based on the demands of the ministry. And so there are five things I want to point out to you here. Five key reasons, I believe, that, that, that leaders might be inaccessible to you at any given moment. Are you ready to write these down? This is something to remember, okay? First thing, number one, is that the priority, the priority might have to go to something or someone that has already had their attention first. So you might come to them and you might want their attention, but they might already be giving their attention to something else. And they only have one attention, especially if you're a dude. Okay? One track mind. You know what I mean? Every wife in the room is like, yep. You know, so often I find myself in a counseling situation, and maybe after service, a Tuesday night, and I'll be having a very deep and meaningful uh, conversation with someone in this ministry, and there will be someone, so here I am, okay? And there'll be someone in line ready for my attention like this. And I'm, I'm conversing with another person here about like the deepest and darkest secrets of their entire life. And you're just like, I'm next. Listen, sometimes the priority has to go to something or someone that already has that leader's attention. They can't just drop everything they're doing to come and save you. Number two, priority might go to a situation that's more urgent than yours. There are situations in ministry that are often emergent. And so I might be giving my attention to one person, but then something crazy happens in the life or the family of someone else, 
and I have to set this down and run to the aid of another person. I mean, that's the way it works on the battlefield, right? That's the way it works in the emergency room at a hospital. The guy with the toothache has to sit a little bit longer in the emergency room where the person whose arm is severed off gets all the attention. That's the way it works. And it's got to work that way in ministry too. And so if, if, if a leader has to set something aside or set you aside for a moment, you need to understand that because something else might be more urgent. Number three, priority might go to another person who is spiritually or physically weaker than you. In ministry, we've got people who are at varying different levels or degrees of maturity. And so a lot of times I might be spending time with Miles and investing time and energy in him. And I need Miles to understand when I have to turn my attention momentarily to a weaker brother and sister in Christ who need my attention more. Does that make sense? I have to be willing to do that. And y'all need to be willing to understand that as well in the dynamics of the relationships, the nature of your relationships with other leaders in ministry. Is this, is this, is this making sense? Practical? Okay. Number four, priority might go to a situation that is more time sensitive. It's more time sensitive. So maybe it's not as urgent, but it's more time sensitive, which makes it more urgent, right? And so, you know, <laughs> there will be situations in ministry all the time where, where someone says, within the next 24 hours, da 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 And so I have to set aside LFBI. I've got to set aside training leaders. I've got to set aside other things because within a 24-hour time frame, I've got to devote time and energy to this thing over here because if I don't, it might be catastrophic or, or I might let someone down. You guys with me? Number five, priority might go to the work that has momentum. Priority might go to the thing that's more fruitful. Now, I, 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 I hate this because I know a lot of you will think, well, so you're going you're gonna to give time to the thing that's, that's the better investment? Like I'm not the better investment? Yeah, actually. We have to think about things in terms of fruitfulness. And, I, and this becomes much more clear and evident when we look at Paul's situation. The church in Corinth wants him to come. Come visit us. We have problems over here. We need your time. We need your energy. We need your wisdom. And he says to them, he says to them that he's going to stay with Ephesus because the ministry there has the touch of God in it. And it's particularly fruitful. Verse 9 says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me. What farmer, what's, what farmer on earth would leave the healthy crops behind to die in the middle of harvest season? <laughs> if, he doesn't, if he doesn't reap that harvest, that's bad for everyone. That has repercussions for many, many, many more people. And so he devotes his time and energy to bringing in that harvest before he sets that work aside and tends to something else. And so the momentum was on Ephesus' side. And so he says, look, I'm going to stay here because this is where God's opened the door. And that happens in relationships too, you know? I, look, 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 look. I very rarely... Um, I'm very careful about the amount of time and energy I focus on discipling one people or one person. 
And you'll see this is true for a lot of the pastors, that the pastors are often given over to discipling many people at once. And so it's very rare that I find myself discipling one-on-one. It has to be a work of the Lord in my life, and I have to see that there's momentum and that, that I'm the one that was required to do that. And so, you know, I just recently finished discipling Chad. Now, I can't explain to you why. I mean, Chad's just a dude. But I knew in my heart that if I didn't invest in him, we'd both be missing out on something. And so I went with the momentum. I felt the call on my life. I felt that it would be fruitful. I thought it was necessary. Now, now people could be upset with me about that, that I, that I discipled Chad by choice, and that I can't disciple every man in this ministry one-on-one. I just can't. There's no way. But sometimes you have to make hard calls because you see that something's going to be fruitful. Paul is com- committed to completing his current investment. He is, he is indisposed to make the journey to Corinth because the things at Ephesus are thriving. So not only that, but the enemy is working to interrupt the momentum of the work. So he's also making a decision because he knows that the enemy is right there on the edge of distracting the work at Ephesus, that he's trying to undermine it, and so he stays there to hold the fort. So Paul can't afford to jeopardize Ephesus in order to appease Corinth. This is part of his decision-making. So here's the next key point. We must understand. We must understand that other people have other important things to do. And you're one person, you're one person among many people in the church that require the rehabilitation center. You're one among many. And look, in our ministry, we have a ton of people serving the Lord. We have a ton of people serving the Lord. Just about, just about the time that any leader finds good momentum and their plate gets nice and full and they're tending to what God has done without fail, Something or someone is going to seek to interrupt that. And leaders have to be discerning and flexible. You know, in Jesus' earthly ministry, his work was often interrupted. His rest was often interrupted. And ours will be too. Every leader in this room must reckon that to just be the nature of following Christ. It's okay to have needs and to seek counsel, but listen, but be gracious with the people who serve you. It's not their job. They're not your full-time therapist. They're giving you their time and energy, and it's not costing you anything but your time in return. So be gracious with them. They might have many other people that they're serving too, which is exactly why we do discipleship. We disciple leaders, more and more leaders, more and more leaders, I felt like I should say that with like a Donald Trump, uh, you know, impersonation. More leaders. We need more people getting trained and prepared, mature to help in the work. We need more people. We need more people mature. We need more people growing. We need more leaders. Why? Because the work is good and big, and it's, it's needful. It's worth it, and it's hard. We need more people. And this is why Paul trained Timothy so that he could help him meet the needs that that Paul couldn't himself meet. 
Paul wants to ensure that Corinth's needs are being met, even if that, in that very moment, he can't do it firsthand. He wants to ensure that their needs are being met. So, he, so what he does is he sends his very best and brightest to do the work. And this is exactly what the Bible is teaching us. And so here's the next key point. When you can't get one leader's attention, go find another one. They're everywhere. Throw a rock and you'll hit someone who's leading. Right? I mean, I'm looking at a room full of leaders who are competent. You might not feel like you are, but God has made you ready for the work. I'm looking at a room full of, this is a room full of two, two types of people, leaders and future leaders. And so if one leader isn't available to you, if I'm not available to you, well, certainly a Bible study leader is. And if a Bible study leader isn't available to you, certainly a discipler is. And if a discipler isn't available to you, certainly a, a someone within your small group who has more wisdom and maturity than you is available to you. And then if you need to, there's a whole church full of people beyond this ministry that are going to give good counsel and love you and show you time. And so here we have Timothy. He sends Timothy. Look, Paul knew how people might respond to the idea that he was sending Timothy in his stead. He knew that Timothy might be perceived to not carry the same authority or go under the same respect that Paul might. So Paul addresses this issue head on. Look at verse 10. He says this, Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. So he's saying, look, look, if Timothy, if I send Timothy, if I send David Gelvin, or if I send Braden, or if I send David, or I send Calum, if I send them to you, make sure that they can come to you without fear of you treating them poorly. Don't treat him in such a way that he might fear making the investment in you. Look, we have reason to believe that Timothy was kind of a shy and insecure guy. Insecure about his youth, insecure about how people saw him. So Paul reminds Timothy on several occasions to not be afraid of the people and the work. 2 Timothy uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says this. This is what he says to Timothy. For God hath given us the sp- uh, not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Apparently, that was a reminder that Timothy needed. Look, Timothy was young. He was younger than Paul, quite a bit younger. In fact, he was younger than the people that he was ministering to most of the time. And sometimes that can be daunting. It can be daunting to be 20, giving counsel to a 24-year-old. But God doesn't see things in those terms. Spiritual maturity is spiritual maturity. And so God has given us power and love and a sound mind that we might minister in confidence. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation in charity and spirit and faith and purity. Do the work that you know you're supposed to do and don't be intimidated by people who treat you badly. And that is, that is a sermon to the leaders in this room. You understand? You need to believe that. 
Paul is telling the church in Corinth here in, in, in chapter 16, don't treat him in a way that would promote timidity in Timothy, but respect him and give him room to lead. Why? Because he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. So he, he represents, Timothy represents that same word and work that Paul did. So what should you do? Receive him with humility. Okay, you can't get Brandon's attention. Okay, you can't get Brandon's attention. So you end up, you end up with just someone in your Bible study and, they, oh, they don't really get you or they don't get my, they can't fully understand my situation. You know, they haven't even lived any life. They haven't even, they haven't even done, what's, what good is their account? Listen to me. Do not despise the leaders in this ministry who've chosen by free will to minister to you, to serve you, and to love you with everything that they have. Do not despise that work. It's not right. It's an affront to Jesus Christ and the work that he's doing in the lives of people. It's an affront. So don't do it. Verse 11, he says, Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto thee, for I look for him with the brethren. So here's our next key point. Respect the authority of those who, by faithfulness, have earned it. Not because they are qualified, not because they're the smartest person you know, not because they have a degree in psychology and therapy, not because they have a master's of divinity or because they've been through LFBI. No, listen to me. Respect the authority of the people who minister to you because they've earned that because of faithfulness which is the greatest qualifier in all of Scripture as it concerns leadership. I mean, the Bible tells us, a faithful man, who can find? They're rare. They're much rarer than masters of divinity. Faithful people are much more rare than, 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 than fine gold. So when they come to you to love you and to minister to you, Respect what God's done in their life and see them as the authority that they are because they haven't earned it in their own power, but they've earned it by faithfulness and trust in Christ. Understood? Pastor Sam has spent 17 years investing in the leaders of, the church, of this church, developing pastors. And I've been entrusted with the work of this, uh, the, the exact same work these last six years in Kaya. And in this time, God has given us many faithful men and women who have studied God's word and faithfully served and proven that they are capable of leading. Respect that, please. Respect that work, please. Treat them the way that you would treat me. Treat them the way that you would treat me. Submit to one another in brotherly kindness. God has made us so rich in our leadership and we're continuing to grow. Respect what he's doing. Which is why I want to invite those of you who are leading in any capacity to a meeting on August 27th, right here in this room after church in Kaya. Anybody who's leading in any capacity, I want you to be here. We're going to have pizza. We're going to talk about ministry vision and preparedness. We're going to talk about the fall semester and what we want God to do. And so that way it'll give you an opportunity to ask questions, learn the philosophy of this ministry. But listen to me. We need more leaders. We need to talk about it more. And so I'm, I'm inviting you to come talk about leadership. We're going to do that on August 27th, immediately following this, this time together. Got it? Got that in your calendars? Also, there is a Kid Town meeting that week. And I've gotten special permission from Jeff Grasher 
that, that, we, that we can take precedence and that they're going to take notes for you and they're going to get everything you need in Kidtown, but this meeting will take precedence and in the future we'll better coordinate to make sure that that overlap doesn't happen again. Got it? Now what about Apollos? As we close, we can only imagine that the church in Corinth was asking, what about Apollos? Can you send us Apollos? Now remember that Apollos was also very important. He was an important figure in Corinth in those early years of the church, and he held a great deal of influence. And they're saying, look, we're in need over here. Can you send us someone with a little bit more experience than Timothy? All right? I mean, after all, people in Corinth were saying, I am of Paul, and others were saying uh, that they were of Apollos, but no offense, ain't no one saying, I am of Timothy. No one was saying that. (laughs) They liked Apollos. He was smart. He was a good teacher. He presented himself with a great deal of, of wisdom and prowess. So Paul responds to their obvious desire. In verse 12, he says the following. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. But his will was not at all to come at this time. I mean, you have to say it, you have to say it like that? I mean, I guess he did. But he will come with, with, uh, when he shall have a convenient time. It's just not convenient for him right now. So Paul invited Apollos, and Apollo said, No. He said, maybe I'll go some other time when it's more convenient for me. Now, can you imagine how folks in our ministry would respond if I was like, yeah, not this month, maybe next month? I mean, some of you would have a straight conniption fit (laughs) if a leader doesn't just drop everything they're doing and come to to the rescue. See, the point here is that people don't always need to give you a reason why they can't drop everything they're doing and help you. And, and I think the reason that we often expect that is because we've been coddled and we've become, we've become brats. We've been given too much. We've been so rich in ministry. We so often have someone available to us at any given moment that when they're not... We've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to throw a fit. See, sometimes they just can't. And that should be good enough for you. That should be good enough. Here's our key point. It is every leader's prerogative as a human being for crying out loud. And in compliance with the Holy Spirit, to say no sometimes. I mean, some of us really need to learn how to do this. The Holy, sometimes we love the work so much, we love to serve so much, that even when the Holy Spirit is telling us that we need to chill, we still go and do that thing because we think we are, we're playing the superhero. We think that what that person or that situation needs is us and they need it right now And that maternal instinct or that paternal instinct kicks in. Listen to me. me. Some of us need to learn to say no and some of us need to learn to be okay with no. And no one needs to give you a discourse on why they're saying no. I mean, sometimes I say no and because the person is so immature, I'll give like seven excuses in the text message like, well, first of all, 
um, my, I, I have to be at this thing, and also I'm dying. Like I have to give them every single reason why I can't drop everything I'm doing. Look, that kind of pressure, man. Look, sometimes a phone call at 1130 is convenient, and sometimes it's not. And, and, and some weeks, meeting up for coffee is convenient and easy, and sometimes it's not. And some weeks, some weeks we have liberty to serve, and some weeks we have liber- liberty to serve our families. You know how much pastors and leaders have to give up in terms of family? And I don't expect you to always understand that. And so that's why, that's why the pastors serve despite the fact that their family loses so much. They lose out so much. We need to learn to trust God. Trust God with problems. Trust God with time and energy and opportunities that we have. And in conclusion, in conclusion, Psalm 62.5 says this. My soul wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. Some of us need to memorize that. My soul wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. I want to invite the worship team up. And this is the invitation today. And I told you this was going to be direct and instructional just the way the passage reads. But some of us need to go and we need to apologize to the leaders in our life and say, I'm sorry for acting a little bratty with you. I'm sorry for demanding all your time and energy and and doing it and asking for it on a whim. And it's not fair and I'm sorry for that. And I want to work towards maturity. And this is a moment to do that. Can we pray together? Can we be unified on this matter? There are some leaders in this room, though, also who need to apologize for not being available. You are a servant of the living God. And so some of us are withholding because we get tired, we get worn out. Listen to me. Spend and be spent. And some of us need to be reminded of that. There are leaders in the room today that need to go apologize to someone that they sloughed off or they didn't give attention to, that they made an excuse for and they shouldn't have. And so there's leaders in the room who need to do the opposite thing and they need to go and say, hey, look, I know you needed me. And I was available, but I've been, I've, sorry, I've, I've been exhausted and I just was looking for an opportunity to hide and I apologize for that. I do want to be available to you. And so can we get together this week? Listen, y'all. Following Christ in this world is so hard. Let's not make it harder. Like let's, let's commit together to making this a joy. I mean, because when we go out those doors today and we get into traffic and we start seeing our city for what it really is, listen to me. The problem is out there. The darkness is out there. But here, this is the joy, the brethren, the brethren. This is the beloved. This is where we find joy in watching other people walk in the truth of God. So let's find joy in this. Amen?
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We need you. Would you help us to be right with you today? Would you help us to be right with our brothers and sisters? If anyone needs to ask for forgiveness today, Lord, I pray that you would show them and that you would prompt them to do that. Uh, God, use us. Uh, Use us to show love and use us to be a light to the world. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.